Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This podcast is part of E2C Network, where we share the whole Auburn experience. Hello, and welcome to War Horses, the only college equestrian podcast that is having an existential crisis over statistics. I'm your host, Auburn Elvis. Let's talk about some college equestrian. Oh boy, you have a week like last week where you just brag about knowing who the number one team is and then a team that you swear is just great in the jumping seat lays an absolute egg. (sighs) Well, let's just get this over with. Let's do our Our meat meat recaps. Uh, Let's talk about Baylor at Texas A&M. Now, if you remember last week, I went on and on just about how good Baylor was in the jumping seat and how Texas A&M was good in the Western events and how the two of them were going to give it, it was going to be close and probably a tie. And well, I was right about Texas A&M being good in the Western events. So the meet started off with equitation over fences. And this is an event I expected Baylor to win three to two or even four to one. Uh, nope. <laughs> Turns out they got swept five to nothing. Yeah. So when a team starts out uh, 0-5, you don't like to say that the meet is essentially over, but when, since it was fences for Baylor, they it was essentially over for them. So, so yeah, with that, I mean, their day was essentially done. They had no hope of beating A&M after that. So for the next two hours, everybody just kind of had to stand around and pretend that this was still a competition, but it wasn't. It was a bloodbath. Uh, horsemanship was also going on in the first half. Now, I figured A&M would get this three, four, maybe five points out of that. Again, the Aggies won it four to one as kind of as expected. So the halftime score was nine to one Texas A&M. The meet was essentially over, but we still have to keep going on into the darkness. And so here we go. Uh, Equitation on the flat happened. Here again, instead of getting three or four points, Baylor got a goose egg. A&M took this event 5 nothing as well. Over in reigning, uh, that went 2-2. Two to two. So Baylor technically did not lose everything on Friday. It just felt like it. Uh, so the final score ended up being 16-3, to Texas A&M. For Baylor, this was the second worst loss in their program's history. The worst loss was when they went on the road to Oklahoma State last year, so the Bears kind of have a little pattern here of underperforming on the road early in the season. They're going to need to address that. Um, Now, if you're wondering how this could happen, I have no idea. For example, in fences, if if I were to show you two riders to take away their names and who they're riding for, and rider A, she wins 63% of her rides. Uh, She just messed out on being an All-American last year. And she's up against Ryder B, who's a brand new freshman who's never ridden in this format before. Then the stats would say, hey, let's go with Ryder A. Let's favor her. Nope, Ryder B won. Uh, another one, Ryder A, she wins 75% of her stat, of her rides. Uh, she is an All-American. She's up against Ryder B, uh, who wins a little over half, not an All-American. The stats would say, hey, go with that All-American who wins 75% of the time. Nope, Ryder B wins. Uh, you look at the flat, Rider A. She wins two-thirds of her point. 
Uh, Rider B wins just over half. Do you pick Rider A? Well, guess what? Rider B wins again. Uh, last one I'll do. Rider A wins 87.5% of her rides. First team All-American. She's up against a Rider B who wins 44% of the time, not even half. Once again, who would you pick? Well, Rider B wins. That's how this all happened. Just crazy. Just crazy. So for A&M, uh, this was exactly what they needed. Just boom, right out of the gate. They are kicking butt and taking names. For Baylor, well, in the words of Ted Lazo, sometimes every once in a blue moon there is a game so awful, the only way to watch it is back at 10 times the speed and with the Benny Hill theme music playing under it. <laughs> So while all that was going on, we also had UT Martin at South Carolina. Uh, last week, I predicted this one was going to be uh, 10 to 8 or 11 uh, to something for Carolina. Let's see what happened. Uh, raining and flat began the meet. South Carolina took raining 3 to nothing. UT Martin won the flat 3 to 2. So at the half, the score was 5 to 3. This is pretty close. But in the second half, it didn't get very, it did, it did not, it did the opposite of close. <laughs> far. It did far away. South Carolina swept fences 5-0. Might as well have been riding against Baylor. Uh, and then they won horsemanship 4-1. to So yeah, South Carolina just kind of choked the life out of them there in the second half. They won the meet 14-4. Uh, to Not very close at all. For UT Martin, they really kind of wanted a better start to the season. But when you go on the road like this to one of the bigger schools, it can be a pretty rough trip. They get another chance the next day going over to Georgia. We'll get to that one here in a second. Uh, the Gamecocks, uh, they would also host single-discipline Lynchburg. This wasn't on the uh, official, the big uh, league calendar, but it was here. It happened, so let's look at it. Uh, oh, now, as you might recall, Lynchburg is the two-time defending national champs of the single-discipline world. So it's going to be nice to see how they would stack up against a big, uh, a bigger school here. It was a four-on-four meet because, again, you know, these smaller schools sometimes don't ride five-on-five. Five. Uh, flat started out first. South Carolina swept that event for nothing. And just like that, uh, they were on their way to another route. Uh, fences went almost the same way. Gamecocks got the, a dirty sweep 3-0. to zero. So 7-0 to zero was your final score for this one. So just a great weekend for South Carolina. Um, next, they're going to go on the road to up to Brookings, South Dakota. And uh, everything's looking good for them so far. For Lynchburg, no real downside for this meet. They're not going to ever have to compete against a team like South Carolina down in their division. So this was really just a good chance to see, you know, what they've got going on right now. Because they did have some departures from the roster. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, then on Saturday, UT Martin drove down to Bishop, Georgia to face the Bulldogs. Uh, this meet began with flat and raining, as expected. Georgia dominated the flat 4-1, to one, while UT Martin had a shot in raining. Uh, they ultimately lost that one to 3-1. to one. Uh, That made, uh, you, you uh, let's see, halftime score was 7-2 lead for Georgia. Okay, on we go to the second half. Fences. Uh, we got UT Martin. They, they do pretty good here. They took two points. Georgia took three. In horsemanship, Georgia won that one 3-1. to one. So when you add all of that up, the final score was Georgia 13, UT Martin 5. I think I had this one picked 13-7 or 12-6, something like that. So pretty close, pretty close. So... The Skyhawks here, uh, they're going to take a week off, and then they're going to host, uh, or no, they're going to go up to South Dakota State, I think. Or maybe they'll host. Uh, they're going to do something South Dakota State adjacent. Georgia will begin SEC play 
They will go on the road next week to Red Hot Texas A&M, and we'll talk about that more later. And that was all of this weekend's action. So, on we go to the Golden Score Sheet Awards. The Golden Score Sheet Award is a competition where each week uh, I review all of the official score sheets and I award some deductions or bonus points based on the number of errors that I find in the score sheet. Every team begins the season with 100 points. At the end of the season, the team or teams with the highest point total will win an actual award from me commemorating their achievement in outstanding records keeping. So the data recently has been a little tricky to get. Uh, We're still sort of getting rolling here in the season, so not all of the teams are posting their match score sheets on their website. The NCA has yet to post any on its website. Now, they'll probably catch it all back up later. So just know that some of the teams may be losing points retroactively once those score sheets uh, get out into the world. And I don't want things to go too long without these score sheets, you know, me having to review them. So I'm probably going to here pretty soon start emailing schools that hosted these meets and just say, hey, can you email me a copy? If that doesn't work, I guess I could always do a freedom of information request or something like that. But I bet an email is going to be fine. So once I get those, I'll go through through the ones that I haven't seen yet. So the sheets that I were able to look at was UT Martin at South Carolina, UT Martin at Georgia. Uh, Both of those score sheets were perfect without any deductions. I still need to look at that Minnesota Crookston Delaware State sheet from last week. I haven't gotten that yet, so we'll see if that arises. Don't have Baylor, Texas A&M, or Lynchburg at Georgia, but I'm sure I'll get those eventually. So with all the score sheets that I have looked at and had a chance to review, here are the standings. They're actually unchanged from last week. We still have a 13-way tie for first between Auburn, Baylor, Delaware State, Fresno State, Georgia, Minnesota, Crookston, Oklahoma State, SMU, South Dakota State, TCU, Texas A&M, UC Davis, and UT Martin. And in 14th place with 96 points is South Carolina. I also want to point out that no team has yet gotten any bonus points for correctly putting the home team on the right side of the score sheet, as is the American broadcast standard. So just know that all it would take for any team at this point, even South Carolina, to jump into first place all alone is for them to go and get those five bonus points by putting the home team on the right. So keep you posted on that. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Okay, so now, the good part. We're going to talk about week two of the official Auburn Elvis College Equestrian Rankings. Now, since we had a single discipline meet, I went back and I checked, and it looks like all the single discipline teams have finally put up their current rosters, which means we can now rank all of those teams based on their returning talent from last year. So even though it is week two, you could pretty much consider that these rankings are the preseason rankings as well. Nothing would have changed because nobody has written yet. So here are the single discipline top eight teams. Yes, that's right. We're going to do all eight teams here uh, and rank those to get started. Number one, Sweetbriar. The Vixens are just loaded with returning talent this year. You could basically think of them as the TCU of the single discipline teams. Their returning starters average over five and a half points per meet. They feature six All-Americans in that group. 
They are far and away the deepest and most experienced team in the nation, so look out for the Vixens this year. Number two is Lynchburg. The Hornets lost a good portion of the lineup that brought them those back-to-back national championships these past two seasons. Their starters average about 4.4 points per meet, and they return two All-Americans, or that rather they would return two All-Americans if the NCAA counted the postseason in the All-American awards. They don't, but I do, so there you go. Uh, moving right along, number three is Barry College. The Vikings' returning starters average about 3.7 points per meet. They had some impressive showings last season, and they could be the dark horse to win it all this season. Number four is Sacred Heart. The Pioneers' return starters averaged about 2.5 points per meet, which is good enough to place fourth in the preseason rankings. Now, the next four teams that we're going to look at are pretty close statistically. Um, it'll be nice to see how they do and distinguish themselves against one another once the season gets going. But based on the returning starter production, here are the next four teams. We'll go through these pretty quickly. Number five is Dartmouth. The Big Green uh, returning starters average almost a point and a half per meet. Number six is Bridgewater. The Eagles' returning starters average just a bit over one point from last season. Number seven is Suwannee. The Tigers didn't have a great season last year, and it looks like they've had a lot of departures as well, so their returning starters only average about a half of a point per meet, so not a lot. And the number eight team, mainly because we have zero stats on them, is College of Charleston. The Cougars haven't ridden at this level before, but just based on their roster size alone, they are surely going to find somebody to put some points on the board. So I'm guessing Charleston is not going to finish eighth when all of this is said and done. So look out for them. So now on we go over to the dual discipline teams. These are the big schools. Number one for the third straight week is TCU. The Purple Frogs did not ride this past week, but their big win over SMU two weeks ago still looks pretty impressive. So they are number one. Number two is also the same as the previous weeks, Auburn. The Tigers were off last week, but they will square off against Baylor and Waco this Friday. So we'll talk, take a look at that here in a few minutes. Number three is Texas A&M. The Aggies jump up three spots in this week's ranking with that beatdown of Baylor that we talked about earlier. I considered moving them up to number two since beating Baylor seems to be more impressive than Auburn's win over UC Davis, but but statistically, Auburn's starting lineup is performing better than A&M's is, so the Aggies are going to have to be content with number three right now. And a team that will probably not be content with their ranking is number four, Georgia. <laughs> the Bulldogs went to town on UC Davis and UT Martin, and they still dropped in the rankings. But fear not, Georgia, you will get your chance to show all of us how great you are when you head to College Station this weekend. Number five is SMU. <laughs> the defending national champs didn't look great in week one, and being idle since then has allowed multiple teams to pass them in the rankings, and that might continue to happen since they don't ride again for another week. Number six is South Carolina. 
the Gamecocks have put together a pair of solid home wins against teams that, at least on paper, were almost equally talented. And coming up, they have a pair of winnable meets in South Dakota State that they could pad their resume with even further. Now, number seven is Oklahoma State. The Cowgirls have yet to ride, and there are a lot of question marks in the starting lineup, but this Thursday's home showdown against TCU will tell us if the Cowgirls will continue to be the team to beat in the Big 12. Number eight is Baylor. The Bears tumbled down three spots after that disastrous loss to Texas A&M, but they have a chance to rebound with number two Auburn visiting this Friday. So, if the season ended today, those eight teams would be in the playoffs. So, here are the next two teams that are really vying for that postseason shot. Number nine, Delaware State. The Hornets won't ride for two more weeks when they host Baylor. That will be their big chance to establish themselves in the rankings. Until then, they are on the outside looking in. And the number 10 team is UC Davis. Hello, you. Some people would probably put Fresno State here, but since the Bulldogs have yet to ride, all we have to go by is their returning talent, and even with two losses to open the season, UC Davis' starting lineup has much better stats than Fresno State's does, so UC Davis is number 10 for right now. But don't worry, Bulldogs, you are going up to South Dakota State this weekend, and you will have your chance to show your stuff up there. So, that is everything from the past. Now, let's look into the future with some meat 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 previews. On Thursday, we're going to get TCU at Oklahoma State. This is a big one. The Horned Frogs haven't won in Stillwater in, like, forever. And even with a red-hot start this season, the stats say that these two teams are pretty closely matched. In fences, Oklahoma State has the edge, so we're going to say that goes 3-2 to two for them. In the flat, that should be a little closer, but OSU might still win it 3-2. to two. Over in Western, look for TCU to win that 3-2, to two, maybe even 4-1. to one. Then in reigning, TCU should get that one 3-2. to two. So, adding everything up, it's 10-10 to 10 tie, with TCU getting the slight advantage overall in a tiebreaker. We'll see, but I think it should be a fun one. Now let's look at Friday. Fresno State at South Dakota State. Looking at returning points production, these two teams aren't that far apart. Also, the Jackrabbits are at home. This will likely be a four-on-four meet. All that helps the underdogs typically. I think tent fences will be a two-to-two split, and flat will go three-to-one for Fresno State. I think horsemanship will be another two-to-two split, and I think reigning will go three-to-one for Fresno State. Add all that up, and I think the Bulldogs win ten-to-six. Next, we have Georgia at Texas A&M. And we are so blessed to be getting so many high-powered matchups here this week. Georgia's been looking good. A&M's been looking good. Who's going to win this? Well, in fences, both these teams are show enough. Uh, The stats say A&M has a slight edge, plus they are at home, so we're going to say that goes 3-2 for Aggies in fences. On the flat, if Georgia doesn't go at least 3-2 here, they are going to be hurting overall. I say the Bulldogs take flat 3-2. In horsemanship, Georgia is good enough to get at least one point, maybe two, um, but I think A&M gets the rest, so three to two Aggies here. And in reigning, uh, the dogs have a lot of question marks in this event, and A&M is just too solid, so I think this is going to be three to two Aggies, maybe more. 
add all that up, and I think it's, it's going to be an 11-9 to win for Texas A&M. Now, looking at Auburn at Baylor. Auburn looks great on paper, but we have seen the Tigers slip up in recent years on uh, road meets or neutral site meets. They need to be on upset alert here in Waco. In fences, Auburn should take this one 3-2 to two or maybe even 4-1. to one. On the flat, each team has about two points they can count on here. So with that middle point being very tightly contested, I'm just going to say that being at home helps the Bears. I'm going to say they take the flat 3-2. to two. In horsemanship, these teams are pretty even. So let's say it's a 2-2 two to two draw there. So everything's going to come down to reigning. And Auburn has the slight edge, so we're going to give this one to the Tigers 3-2. to two. Adding that all up, uh, I think Auburn's going to win about 10-9, to 9, maybe 11-8 to 8 if they do really well in fences. Then we have uh, a whole slate of meets on Saturday. South Carolina at Fresno State. I expect this one will also be a 4-on-4 meet. The Gamecocks look strong on fences, so I'm going to say that's 3-1 to one Carolina. On flat, things will be a little bit more even, so we'll say that's 2-2 two to two for everybody. In horsemanship, South Carolina should be better, so 3-1 to one for them there. And in reigning, I give the Gamecocks the edge again, so 3-1 to one for them here as well. Adding all that up, I think we'll see South Carolina win this one 11-5. South Carolina at South Dakota State. Another 4-on-4 meet, probably. In fences, Carolina should win this one 3-1. On the flat, it's either going to be a 2-2 draw or maybe 3-1 Carolina. Horsemanship favors the Gamecocks, so I think that's 3-1. And in reigning, I think that goes 3-1 or maybe 4-0 for South Carolina. Add all that up, and I think the Gamecocks emerge victorious by a score of about 11-5, maybe 12-4. But as always, we don't know what will happen. That's why you got to come listen again next week, when I will get you back up to date on all the meets, all the rankings, and which teams might still be struggling with the math of the Western Equivalency Formula. So that is all for this episode of War Horses. I am your host, Auburn Elvis. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode on the E2C Network. On your way out, I want to remind you to stop by E2Cnetwork.com. It's your one-stop shop for all our content across our podcast, YouTube channel, and much more. To stay up to date with us, make sure you're following social media accounts such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. While our content here may always be Auburn sports heavy, if it's orange and blue, it's what we do. War Eagle.